0: Due
1: to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. I know you're going to dig this. Good evening. Good afternoon. If you're out there on the West Coast, this is Maestro Amilcar joined by David. Special shout out to everybody across the Leave It In The Ring radio network, D-Style Boxing, G-Funky, The Shoe Shine. Let's go, David. How's it going?
2: I'm
1: going
0: good, man. How you doing? How's your day going over there in uh, the East Coast?
1: Uh, Dealing with a lot of stuff, but uh, glad to be here. Glad to be talking boxing.
0: Yeah, same here. It's nice and sunny over here in uh, Northern California. Um, But as always, we got a lot of stuff to hand wrap here on Leave the Ring. Don't forget to jab the like button, uppercut the subscription and hit that notification bell. Don't leave it up to the judges to let you know when we're on live here on a Milk Cars channel. Hopefully, we can get back on the Leaving the Ring channel. I think my ban is lifted um, today. Matter oh, of fact, the Milk Car. I don't you. know. <laughs> all right. <It's> all <laughs> if you right. haven't had a chance to go and look at the Solar Plex Zone segments, uh, episode three is out. Um, check that out it's everybody's shows that are compiled into one whole segment between 30 to 45 minutes um, we put a little bit of everybody's show that's on the leaving the ring rotation also some of the best interviews that we've conducted all across the board from everybody from you know the whole leaving the ring rotation so if you haven't had a chance go to the leaving ring channel the main channel and check out the solar plex zone Okay, we got nothing better doing to do on a Sunday. Barbecue, pop open the beer, and uh, listen to all the topics and interviews on there.
1: Yeah, again, shout out to everybody here um, on the Leaving in the Ring Radio Network. D Styles up on there. G Funky's up there. HCP Uncensored. The Shoe Shine, and obviously I'm there with uh, my Throwout Boxing, which I'm now doing Tuesdays and Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Get over to the channel, uh, check out the description box, like, subscribe, and all of those good things. Now, David, we had a pretty good episode of the Leave It in the Ring Roundtable last Thursday on um, D Style Boxing's channel, and we kind of got into a little bit in terms of our thoughts Thursday about on, uh, some of these fights that w- that were taking place this weekend. I'd like to start off by discussing the fight that took place out there in England with the son of the Dark Destroyer, Nigel Benn. A lot of people weren't sure exactly where he was at, talent-wise, exactly where he was at in terms of his competition level. He took on a rough and rugged guy in Samuel Vargas, whose claim has been taking elite guys' rounds. Didn't go many rounds, didn't go even a full round. What were your thoughts on that fight, Dave? I mean, what are my full thoughts about that fight? I mean,
0: like you said, we we our expectation was that Samuel Vargas was going to show us what was lacking and what were good, what were the goods of Conor Ben. Right? Um, I didn't get a whole lot answered. I mean, look, Conor Ben went out there. He looked sharp. He looked on point. He looked strong. He looked fast. Uh, but it was short lived. So either Sam Samuel Varg, Vargas got old overnight or he got caught cold, or Conor Ben is just that good. The only thing I would hope and want to see now from Conor Ben is to see him fight really soon. Not six months from now, not next year. Uh, You know, what about scheduling up two months from right now? Get him in there again. Let's see if if what we saw is the real deal, because it's really hard to make an assessment here, Milkar, to say how good he is because he looks spectacular, but it was just so good. It didn't leave us much or any room to to have any more thought than just to go, wow, okay, this is what we got.
1: I, I felt that Vargas was going to take this kid round. So, um, you know, I spoke to the fact that Vargas is at a tough road, being kind of a road warrior, having to go. Uh, places taking on fights at the last minute you know where he's from boxing isn't very big so he's never had like that hometown push or anything like that Uh, so the fact that he's gone multiple rounds with top level guys in the past made me think that he was going to take this kid a lot further than he did honestly Dave I felt the the stoppage was a bit premature Uh, but at the same I could see that yeah at the same time, you can justify it as a as a proper stoppage because he wasn't throwing back. And I was going to
0: say that he he wasn't throwing back. Um, he he was getting clipped. Let's be honest. Some of the shots were landing on the gloves of Vargas, but a lot of those shots were really clean and solid and heavy. And from the standpoint of the ref, you're seeing a guy that almost almost looked like he was the brink of being put to sleep and really nasty way. So I think the ref did a right job. I don't think it was premature. I think it was because of no response coming from Vargas. And, you know, to me, it was like he was trying to weather this storm, but this storm was just – it just kept coming with waves and waves and waves. And it eventually was going to take down that 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 pier and, and house down, you know, the way uh, Connor was throwing those punches, man.
1: Well, the thing is, after – the fight. I listened to an interview with Vargas where he was essentially saying, I don't know why I did this. I don't know why I came over here. I wasn't hurt. The referee shouldn't have stopped the fight. We were just feeling each other out. And I'm like, bro, if you think <laughs> it repeatedly in the face is feeling the other guy out, like I got to disagree with you on that one. I feel like it was stopped early I honestly do. But here's the thing. He's not the hometown guy. He's not That's going the thing. defending a belt. Uh, yep. There's no leverage there. There's no pressure being put on a referee to be like, you know what? We're going to let you uh, see how far you can go uh, taking this, taking this, this punishment. You, you go that amount of rounds being essentially, a punching bag, sorry, that amount of uh, punches in a row being essentially a punching bag. It's tough. But now you could argue that the ref should have, should have given him a standing eight because he did get knocked back into the ropes, but we've seen many times where guys get knocked into the ropes and the referees don't do that. It almost seems like a lost art form to give guys standing eights uh, in boxing. You don't really see it that much, but Look, it was disappointing. Uh, you got to be disappointed uh, in Samuel Vargas. Uh, where does it take Ben? My thing right now is I'd actually like to see Ben take on David Avenician. I think that's a natural uh, next step for him. David Avenician does work with Matchroom out there. He just took on Josh Kelly, looked really good in that fight. He's rough. He's rugged. He's tough. He should be able to take the guy rounds. And it's kind of the next step in that kind of European uh system there where you start off as the national champ and then you go to the European championship on your way to the world championship. So to me that's kind of a natural progression. And I think it would be a good fight. What are your thoughts, Dave? I would love to see that
0: fight. Uh you know, you know, going with Vargas and it's a tough break for the kid. And Hypo just put in there there is no um standing eight role anymore. And he's right about that. Um you know it's 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 the fighter's job to adjust to whatever is coming against him. You know, and Vargas obviously was thinking that Conor Ben was going to go out there and probably establish his jab, get into a rhythm. But the kid had other plans for the night. He jumped all over him. You know, Vargas' body, if it was younger, if it was fresher, the what-ifs could have rolled out for him, you know. Um, the thing is, his body didn't respond to it. So it's up to the ref. And remember this, the refs are always criticized for allowing fights to go too long. And this is a proven warrior, an older warrior who's been in there, has seen the best, has fought the best, but has lost to the best, you know, and it only takes that one punch to change your whole life, you know. So I'm not going to beg too much on that ref. Because I think the ref did what he saw and felt at the moment was the right thing to do, What's was step in and prevent this guy from taking any more punishment because his body and himself wasn't very responsive to the onslaught that Connor Ben was doing to him and stuff. You know. Now going off with Ben, I would love to see the David Anderson fight. I think it's a great fight. I think it's a great move if they went that route. I'm hoping that that's something they want to look into, especially with both spectacular wins from both guys. I think it makes up a great story and it's a great, it's a great moment to seize for both of them, in my opinion, man. So I'm with you guys on that fight.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So that, that's kind of where things have kind of played out and it's going to be a tough road for Samuel Vargas because he's made his reputation as a journeyman that takes guys rounds, a kind of a gatekeeper type. And, if you can't make it out of the first, it's going to be pretty tough to maintain that kind of status uh, in the game. So that those are my thoughts on that one, Dave. I know you had some thoughts on the co-feature in, in that of that card, the uh, Courtney Bridges fights. Why don't you give us your thoughts on that?
0: Well, first, you know, I got to tell you, I've, it's really rare you get me to get up to want to watch Two females. I mean, I try to watch as much, as many females as I can uh get in there. I support the women in the fight game. I think that they put in the work just like the men. I think they should get the respect just like the men. And you know what? To be honest, a lot of the females have been delivering, whether it's co-main event or even main event. They've been fighting for their right to be in the place of the men, right? And this fight was no different. Um, I wasn't expecting a whole lot, I thought it was more fluff. You had two blondes, very attractive blondes, and that seemed to be the narrative. You know, you had Courtney, Shannon Courtney, who was calling out Bridges about wearing bikinis. They obviously showed that there was some ill between them, some real bad blood. So I was like, okay, let's see what's going to happen between the two. Now, you were telling me it was a a good fight, but there was no really high level skill level there. I had to completely disagree with you with that there because I thought that Bridges was more of the – You know, a pressure fighter that was trying to close that distance, push Bridges, I mean, uh, um, Shannon Courtney back, keep her on her back foot, get her against the ropes where she could do her work. But instead, we saw uh, Shannon uh, uh, Courtney, who obviously studied Bridges. And understood that she was the boxer in between this relationship between them, right? And she went out there, she established the jab, she was pot shotting, she was landing shots where it needed, and she was sitting on her punches when she needed to sit on her punches. You know, that pace was so brutal and fast. That man, I gotta give them kudos because neither one of them looked like they were gassing out except for bridges toward those ends. And it really was due because she was searching and she was taking a lot of punishment, not just to the face, but to the body. And but I got I thought both women, man, were were trying to figure each other out. The only thing is that Shannon Courtney, you could tell her IQ in boxing is a little bit higher than Bridges.
1: I mean <sighs> I got to disagree. I felt that the skill level was pretty much just being shown on one side and that that side was Shannon Courtney. And even then I would have liked to see her using angles a little bit more, circling away a little bit more, um, because Bridges, no, Shannon Courtney, because Bridges attack was very rudimentary dog. Like it was just come straight forward. Uh, her, her combinations were very predictable she was essentially repeating the same line of attack over and over again yes uh, and
0: she was but, getting- but I mean why fix something that's not broken though I mean why did she have to make an, another adjustment if it was working against bridges every time she was coming forward that makes well, no- like no sense you know what I mean I mean it is a high skill skill level fight because she was dominant you know and and she she was doing everything just right. To to her opponent. I mean, when a guy does it, it's skillful, right? I mean, we just saw Enos Boots uh, d- dismantle uh, Lipids. I mean, it was a one-sided fight, and guess what? Everybody's saying he looked brilliant. So why can't it be the same uh, in the same breath for Shannon? Um, that's Courtney? not
1: that's not what I was saying. I started out by saying that the skill level in the fight was all on Shannon Courtney's side. I was saying mm-hmm. that it was all one-sided. I mean. I, I'm not. I
0: didn't really- think it was one sided. I thought Bridges was landing some good uppercuts. She was landing some left hooks. You know, the thing was is that she doesn't have the power to be a pressure fighter. You know, um, or the volume. She doesn't have the volume to apply that. She could move forward. She could take a good licking. She could take a good punch. Her face had the the uh, esky type of look. You know, her face was all puffed up. A lot of people would have folded, and she did it. Her will was never that, broken.
1: That, you know that's why I can't give her performance an a in Courtney because she did get tagged multiple times by a woman who had a very one dimensional repetitive attack. She was going down center line all the time. Uh, She wasn't cutting off the ring. She wasn't varying her punches very much. Um, And yeah, I think that with a few subtle adjustments, you wouldn't have even really been getting touched by bridges all that much. Um, But I mean, to say that it's online with what we saw later, and I know we're going to discuss this next, like, uh, Boots Innes was barely even touched by Lippinets, you know. Uh,
0: but I mean, Lippinets wasn't really throwing any punches. I mean, uh, look, the difference with me is, look, if we're looking at the women division, the girl Jessica, what's her last name? Um McCaskill. McCaskill. Do you think she's a far better superior boxer than the Shannon Courtney that we saw Saturday night? I wouldn't think so. I thought Shannon Shannon Courtney showed more composure, more boxing skills, and she actually, you know, uh, stayed. She kept her ring generalship. She kept her composure. She got clipped. Yeah, and that's part of boxing. You know, um, could she have done a little bit more? absolutely but she had to do what she had in front of her which was a raging bull you know and that bull keep coming forward I don't know I thought it was a great performance It was a high level performance in my opinion um I would rather watch those two go at it again than the Jessica McCaskill uh with the other girl you know what I'm saying I, that, this fight on Saturday was a far better skill and level fight for me in the women's department
1: look this was a quote-unquote world title fight where the combined records of the opponents of these two women was a losing record. I mean, I'm just not going to be comparing it with the kind of fights that I consider high-level boxing fights. If I'm going to have one standard for a man, the same standard is going to be applied for a woman. Like, we're in 2021. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Let's face it. There's no way that a fight like that, at least to me, should have been a co-feature of a, of a major card. It just was not that great. I mean, it was it was entertaining. I think it was definitely entertaining. But I mean, we're just gonna have to disagree on on whether it was like a skill a a, a performance that that I would consider like a skillful a great great performance because
0: i i'm looking at it as a great performance take away the fact that there were women it was a great performance uh i thought it was a great fight uh whether it was co feature and not it lived up to my the, the expectations i didn't have for this fight you know and uh you know going with d style saying i mean uh, this is a girl that only had, what, a very short period of time of boxing. And to tell you the truth, she looked like she has been doing it for quite some time. It looked really good. You know, I mean, she stuck to a game plan. It's very difficult for somebody to stick to a game plan, especially when you got somebody coming forward that's landing a good uppercut, landing a good left hook. You know, the thing with uh, uh, Bridges is, is she's got to go back to the drawing board and look at that fight. She has no defense for the right hand. That's what she was getting clipped. And that's what hurt her throughout the whole fight. All those rounds, she kept getting hurt. She got rocked what twice, three times in that fight. You know, um, again, I thought I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great fight between the two ladies.
1: All right. Well, again, I thought it was an entertaining fight. My expectations were low, it met those expectations. And I we'll see where these two go from here. I mean, the division's super weak. Like I said, they both had, had opponents, I believe, that had a combined losing record. I don't know where they go from here. I mean, this is kind of the problem with women's boxing generally. It's, there's not that much depth of talent across these these divisions, these weight classes, which is why you have someone like Clarissa Shields calling out Katie Taylor.
0: Well, now she's calling out see, Savannah Marshall, right? I think that's her name. Um no, I think yeah, Savannah, Savannah Marshall, which yeah, which was the co-feature, you know, of the night before sorry. the uh, Conor Band and Samuel Vargas.
1: I, I think it's actually uh, Savannah Marshall that's calling out um, Clarissa Shields. I don't think it's the other way around. But no,
0: it's it's Clarissa they, Shields. She said it on Twitter today. Well, the, yesterday she was calling oh, her out.
1: I stand. I stand corrected. I stand corrected.
0: I mean, both. I think both ladies are calling each other out. But rightfully so. They really don't got anywhere else to go. You know, I mean, there's not a lot of pickings in that division or any of the divisions of the women. They have to pretty much go who's available and what's next for them. You know, they don't have the the choices that the men have, which is pick and choose or to play the game of uh, you need to cross the street or I need to go
1: across the street. Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, there is no street, really, when you think about it with women's boxing. I mean, the street is wherever I can get a body to get in front of me to, to to get a fight. So Right. Yeah. Uh so let's move on to to, to Ennis. Boots Ennis. Actually before that, why don't we discuss the Jerwin Ancajas Rodriguez fight? Because I thought Ancajas showed a lot of different oh, yeah. levels uh and facets to his game. He's he boxed, he traded, he showed he has power he showed he has uh can box off the back foot um i was very impressed by his performance but i, I mean i went into this fight really respecting the dude. uh great champ you weren't
0: impressed by him last time though if i remember correct right no yeah i remember you weren't you weren't impressed i don't think anybody was you know a lot of folks David, were kind of labeling them to be uh, boring
1: yeah but that's actually not true i was actually saying that on cajas was good and nando was in the chat uh, disagreeing with me that Ancajas uh, to him was boring because if you remember correctly, you guys had said that he'd fought up in the Bay Area. You remember that? Right. And I was like, whoa, I didn't see that fight that you guys are talking about, but I thought Ancajas is good. And I actually was calling for, before this fight, Ancajas to take on Ioka. And that Ayoka win- right should take on the winner of Chocolatito and Estrada. Now, those two are running it back, but... You know,
0: Well, I mean, to be fair, though, Encahas has not given the performance that he did on Saturday night the way he looked, um, you know, to be fair, because he's kind of had that skill that he's going to make everybody just not look like they're in the fight. With this fight uh, on Saturday... Uh, yep. It was a tug of war. He had a he had to really dig deep, and it was a great Good. fight between the two. You know, uh, Rodriguez, I mean, he put up a show, and he showed that, you know what, I'm just not here to collect a check. But also, if I win or lose, I hope the fans want to see me again. And guess what? He walked away with me saying, I want to see you again.
1: Yeah, there was a point in the fight where it seemed as if even his corner was questioning whether he should continue. I believe it was after the eighth round. And they were nice. having discussions, and they are asking him if he wanted to go on. He's like, fuck yeah, I want to go on. And then he went on the fight with Cojones, as they say, for the rest of the fight. And I like it. Like Andre, shout out to Andre in the chat. Like, mm-hmm. he did take it to him. Like, they left it all in the ring. It was literally leave it in the ring on right. Saturday night in that fight. And, yeah, sign me up for him against Cuadras. Sign me up for him against... Uh, Soar Rangvasai or anybody of the other big names at 115 pounds, I definitely want to see him again. That's for sure.
0: You know, it's crazy because fights like this is what makes fans forget about the loss. You always remembered from your last fight and this kid Rodriguez is walking away. What a loss. But what really a win because fans want to see him again, you know. Whereas, you know, the other divisions – where they're doing a lot of picking and choosing and, you know, a lot of nonsense, you know, nobody's actually getting in the ring and wanting to leave it in the ring, right? Whereas the flyweights and super flyweights, the lower weight divisions, they're all so stacked, you know? I mean, these, they're really the glory divisions right now at this moment. And guess what? None of them are playing these little tricks. So none of them is playing these little mind games and talking about, well, I want this and who's the A and who's the B, and, who's the B. Uh, they're pretty much leaving that decision in the ring and it's a ring robin and it's a chance to really be a, an acuror where everybody's going at it once over and over and that what's makes this this lower division so special too bad that networks haven't caught up to it you know not everybody in networks have caught up to it a lot of these guys should be headlining a lot of these guys should have more limelight and have more media all over them you know uh to cover them and talk about them because Just like me and you, little Carl, we've been excited about this division, both of those divisions right
1: now. 100%. I mean, there's a name that I could have also mentioned, Kosei Tanaka. I mean, I'd love to see him fight him. I mean, there's so many options here at 115 pounds that are, (laughs) are, are, are worth exploring. And the demands of the fighters at this weight class are just not what they are of, you know, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder or... You even go lower to the fucking welterweights like they're not fighting each other you know no it's really strange too
0: man it just seems like it's got worse and worse you know um everybody wants to play the fiddle and and nobody wants to get, to get on get on get in the dance get on the dance floor you know and that's why You know, these little guys, they're really keeping the spirit and they're keeping the blood flowing through the fight fans that want to continue to watch the sport because they're the only ones that are willing to lace up and get in there and duke it out.
1: 100%. And just want to shout out all of the people that are joining us here live. Um, Bunch of people. We got Toby Bartlett, Neon Eyes, Bruce Goes, Chen Smoke, I Buy Houses, London Left Hook, my man out there from the UK. Jose Yepes is in the house. Outlaw always. My brother Haplotype in the building. Still waiting for you to drop knowledge about Joe Calzaghi. You know, there's a lot of Joe Calzaghi haters out there. You're definitely not one of them. And you're debunking those stereotypes. Cruzito G is in the house. So, guys, keep it going. Subscribe. I got the uh, channel in the chat there. Uh, like and subscribe, share this. And the phone lines are open, area code 718-618-4284, 718-618-4284. <clears throat> also on Skype, El Maetro, Amilcar at gmail.com. You could contact us through that as well. David Boots Innes, Sergey Lipinets, what were your thoughts after Saturday night? You know, Boots,
0: man, there's not much to say about the kid. He's very impressive, very composed, strong, quick. I mean, if (laughs) we got a new boxing video game coming out, you know, you can make up your own fighter, put them all together and put all the right stuff and the right things in place. Uh, Boots is one of those kids that you could really put together, you know. The thing is, is that Lipton's is a smaller guy. He moved up. We know know that Lipton's is a very uh, 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 limited fighter, okay? Um, uh, we just, just like what we were hoping to get out of Vargas was to get, was to take, you know, the, 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 the kid that we had high hopes for, uh, into rounds. And Lipton was able to do that with boots, but he just took him in the rounds. He didn't really test them in those rounds. He couldn't really do anything. He would land a occasional good, uh, hard left hook, but boots kept them in the angles. Boots turned them every time the kid Lipton uh, sat on his punches, Boots was not no longer there, you know, to be hit. Uh, it was a great, great performance. But I think everybody needs to pump their brakes, man. I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to see boots jump up a, 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 to the next level. Um, you know, I, I know some folks are gonna like, they're like, well, you know what? Forget about, you know, fill out rounds. forget about let's test him with more in the water. Again, I go, why are we such a rush? Let this guy kind of build. Let's see what else we could, what else would he could do? Because remember this, if he steps up and he doesn't give that performance – immediately fight fans write these guys off. You know, as fast as they come in, they knock them out of the park, you know. And Lennox Lewis had a great saying, a famous saying, which is, it's a hurry, come up. You're hurry to come up, and then you're hurry to go back down.
1: Well, you know what? People that want him to step up and uh, are on one side, you're on the other side, David. The fact is, the guys that people are calling for him to step up against, they're not even fighting each other, so... I don't see them taking on a low a high risk, low reward guy in boots. Because there's really no money in boots yet. Think about this. I mean, some folks are saying, hey, Danny
0: Garcia, uh, Sean Porter, blah, blah, blah. I mean, think about this. Danny Garcia and Sean Porter with Al Heyman, you know, Al has shown that he'll get these guys. A shitload of money and fighting nobodies, which makes it difficult. And I've said this in years; it makes it difficult for up-and-comers that show true promising to get the real fights that's needed for them to sharpen up their skills. You know, to to bring out new tools out of the shed, so we could see what they're all about. That's this is their hurt. This their this is what hurts the sports sometimes. You know, so it's it's sad to see that. But you know what, fighters need to do is they got to fight the fights the way Sean Porter did to corner the champions out there. You know, Ugas was a name that was brought up to Boots in the the post-interview, and guess what, Amilcar? He was like, bring him on. Let's make that happen. At least he's one of the guys who are not saying, well, let me talk to my promoter. Let me talk to my manager. He's actually accepting. Let's let's fight. Let's take on who we
1: can at the moment. That's something that he shares in common with another young gun in Virgil Ortiz, who who had no problem saying that he was ready and willing to take on Terrence Crawford regardless of what people think about that but here's the problem for Boots Ugas ain't taking him on and it's not Mm. because Ugas is afraid the fact is there's way more money in an Errol Spence fight and you go towards Errol Spence you got two titles at stake Boots does not have a title (laughs) does not bring a big fan base just yet that's not his fault he's still very young Mm Mm-hmm. So he's not bringing anything into the the table that, like, the big dogs in the division are going to find appetizing. The money's not there. The titles aren't there. And the skill level and risk is extremely high. So Boots, I think he needs to do is just have a look at those welterweight rankings, pick a sanctioning body, and do his best to just climb up the ranks until he's in one of these mandatory positions. And that's that's what I would do if yeah. I was if I was if I was playing promoter. Right. As we like to say, and was right, was, was doing the boots in this uh, promoting because he, those guys are not going to give him a shot.
0: They're not going to give a shot. And I'm pretty sure his management, his handlers understand that, you know, look. Boxing in the end of the day, it's a business and. In that business, it's who you know and who you could pressure to get where you want to go. Fighters traditionally fight to get in those positions. Now that there's money, a lots of money in the boxing game, which has always been lots of money in the boxing game, but it's always been behind the scene. The fans really didn't know what was going on. Now with the internet, everybody is now an investor to the sport or to their fighters, as they say, right, you know. But, you know, that's the shitty part for boots. And it's the shitty part, but not the shitty part. And this is what this is what I say. I know folks already said, hey, let's see him against like Terrence Crawford, Porter and all these other guys. And what you just mentioned, which is right. You know, these guys are not going to want anything to do with boots at the moment. He doesn't bring anything to the table. That's why I say it's okay for him to continue building his name, fighting the names that are available and are willing to get in with him. Allow him to get, you know, to get to know the, the fight fans to get to know him a bit more. So he becomes more of a demand, you know. And realistically, Boots, honestly, is not going to fight any of these other champions until they get a little bit older, you know. And then, what, three to four years from now, everybody's going to be pressing to see Boots and Virgil Ortiz if they're still undefeated, you know, or not, you know. um, That's part of the fight game when it comes to that division. That's why I'm saying the ones that are keeping – you know, the the heartbeat of the sport or the flyweights and those smaller divisions are the ones that really they're the ones that are really putting in the soul into the sport and keeping it alive right now.
1: Look, I'm going to head back to the chat here because my man out of Portugal, Andre, says half a century ago, young great talents got losses in the first 50 fights exactly because of that attitude. And today, some of them are in our pound for pound 20 top 20 of all time. He's absolutely right. Um hmm. The modern <laughs> fighter is fighting once to twice a year and really only wants super fights. I go back to my childhood. You, you talk about welterweights. weights just keep it at welterweights. Look at De La Hoya. Mm-hmm. De La Hoya was fighting a super fight on pay-per-view and was then following up that super fight with a fight on regular HBO. And he was not fighting twice a year. So... We kind of got to figure out a way uh, to get back to that. Puerto Rican Rum says Boots versus Virgil can be a $100 million fight if they play their cards right. That has the potential to be a super fight. Outlaw thinks that that fight will take place eventually at 154. And Boots is a big welterweight. Virgil Ortiz can definitely grow in 154. So that is definitely a strong uh, uh, possibility. Uh right there. So look, like and subscribe. Channels in the description box. Hit the like button, subscribe. Make sure you get those notifications. Pretty soon, my man 97 Rough, right beside me, is gonna be back on the Leave It in the Ring network. We are just doing this temporarily right now. Uh tonight, simulcasting uh on uh my channel. We might be
0: jumping back and forth to tell you the truth, you know. Um yeah. Uh, you know, here, some on the on Leaving the Ring channel, some back over here on Estro channel and stuff. Hey, but let, let me go back really quick. We're going to have a guest at five o'clock, which I'm really excited about, strength conditioning coach Luis Garcia. He's going to come on here and answer, answer a lot of questions that have been lingering in the uh, boxing circuit, um, things about weight loss, things about PEDs, things about what is right to do for your body to gain weight, what is wrong for your body to do to lose weight, a lot of stuff. So stick with us and stuff. But to tackle back about centuries ago about fighters finding 50, uh, in having a loss in there to get where they're at, you know, times change and obviously times have changed rapidly, uh, in the last 20 years in boxing. Okay. You know, boxing, that was always been ahead of the curve though. You know, we are like the very first to have, you know, uh, uh, websites and, 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 uh, uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, forums and all the stuff that you see right now, you know. Um, but the thing that has really been hurting boxing and milk, card, and you said, like, what can we do? Honestly, I think the only way to eliminate a lot of this confusion, a lot of this BS of fighters and picking and choosing and talking having more fists in their punches in their Twitter accounts than in the actual place where it counts is in the ring, is 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 really, is really social uh, uh, media. We, you know, and and how we fix that is we introduce Boxing back to the real public relations people—the people that really know how to groom a fighter, the people that understand what the fans and the people are looking for and they want. You know, we don't have that. We have now fighters trying to groom themselves, trying to uh, you know create this this character. For that they think that fight fans want to see and want to have because they're in love of followers. They're in, lo- they're in love of likes and people, you know, retweeting them and, and these clicks and stuff. You know, they think that that's what's getting them these big fights. Just like what Al Heyman did. And the criticism with Al Heyman from the beginning was there was just too much money being thrown on the table for fighters that eventually it will backfire. And guess what? It has backfired because fighters don't want to fight. Same thing with social media. That eventually is going to die out. Eventually fight fans are going to get tired of seeing guys just do – they're talking with fists in the social world, not in the actual place where it has to take place, which is in those four corners, right? You know – so I think the only way that box is going to fix itself and we're going to see fighters really start fighting each other, which in a little bit, we're starting to see that. And the reason why you got like a Virgil Ortiz and in his boots that are saying, hey, you know what? I want to fight this guy because guess what? They're not in that position. They're actually now are kind of suffering what these fighters ahead of them have done, which is took an advantage of the bank account, taking advantage of the promoter, giving them big paydays without really earning those big paydays. See, these guys actually have to fight for those earnings and their right to even be in the same breath and talks of these other guys, which I like. And I'm I'm, I'm embracing that because I want these fighters to be hungry. I want these fighters to want to fight each other. I want fighters to be frustrated, get pissed off, you know, show up in another fighter's ring and start calling them out, get in their face, screw all the Twitter thing, getting on your phone and talking smack. I wanted to go back the way it
1: used to be which is what fight well you know what's good about this Dave yeah what you're describing is the guys that are in their 30s you're describing Terrence Crawford Errol Spence uh the guys that aren't fighting each other that's not the case with Boots Innis or Virgil Ortiz I think Boots Innis and Virgil Ortiz are willing to fight anybody so and they also come across as very humble and very humble the way they are inside the ring is very consistent with the way they seem to appear outside the ring hard working giving all they got uh just letting their <laughs> talking and i i like what i see out of both of these dudes you i'm
0: normally a- the, normally the right normally you when you you know the guy's personality Uh, in the ring is the way they behave out of the ring. You know, like Arturo Gatti, the late Arturo Gatti, the guy was a wild man in the ring and he lived the same way outside the ring. Uh, Adrian Broner was a a wild kid. You know, in the ring, the way he acted, the same way he acted outside the ring. You know, with Boots and Ortiz, you could really see these are very grounded young men. And they're just grown up in the gladiator tradition. You know, there's no flamboyant. There's nothing nothing glamorous about them. They're not trying to be somebody they're not. What they're trying to do is live up to tradition. Traditional fighters are what they've done for centuries, which is get in there, do their talking with their fist, and go home. Make it to another day for another payday. That's what they're doing,
1: and that's what I love. Gorgoruga is bringing up a throwback dude who's a current fighter, but definitely a throwback kind of fighter and Derek Chisora, Fought three current and future world champs before his 20th fight. Dr. Vitali Klitschko, David Haye, and Tyson Fury. Absolutely. And just right. still doing it. Chizoros definitely one of the throwback guys that's out there. Uh, he's such
0: a throwback guy. Look at that resume right there that you have fight fans that are actually that, a disrespected guy. You know, they call him a bum or they say, ah, oh, this guy, is over the hill, blah, blah, blah. But they don't even look at what, you know, if he is over the hill, if he is worn, why is he worn? Because he took on the fights. You took on the real fights, you yeah. know. And those are those are your badges, you know. You don't get these gold watches after retirement or when you're close to retirement. You don't get the plaques that say you made a hundred thousand this year or one hundred and fifty thousand this year. The scars and the and 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 the muscle aches and you're looking like you that you know you're a step behind. Those are the those are the plaques. Those are the the stripes and the ribbons that you receive from boxing. And those are the guys that you should respect and love.
1: Yep, and I just want to give a shout out to my uh hermano uh no pal boxeanos thank you for joining us tonight brother always a pleasure to have you here with the leave it in the ring family i have it
0: on the comments i don't see anybody i don't know what the hell (laughs) i don't know if it's my i think it's my end dude it's all like scribbly
1: i don't know well i'll put it up for you right there you see it right right there now right dave there you go up on the screen
0: Oh, there we are. Yeah, I see that on the screen. There you I'd go. like to say, what's up to everybody in the chat room? I might have to just go click over. Here, yeah, let me go put it on another web,
1: there web you go. page so I could see. So, look, a lot of things happening, percolating uh, in boxing. You know, we discussed the 115-pound division. For my money, uh, the best division in the sport right now. And you know what? 118 ain't too far off either. So... A lot of action happening down in the lower weight divisions. You know what? Even 122, for that matter. You got Luis Netty, You got Steven Fulton, Rais Aleem. You got Daniel Roman. You got a lot of guys uh, down there as well. So, look, uh, boxing is kind of where it needs to be as we get into the summer, uh, as we kind of work our way through the spring. We the calendar is just- looking
0: good, man, to tell you the truth. The calendar oh. is looking good for boxing.
1: I mean, the main fight that obviously needs to happen is the Tyson Fury-AJ fight. And that fight was kind of dominating some of the headlines this weekend. You know, Tyson Fury put out that uh, tweet with the countdown clock. And then last night, AJ posted something and pretty much said that uh, the first official offer came through. My thing was, if that was the first official offer, does that mean all the other offers were bullshit? <laughs> all
0: the other, fu- uh, all the other offers were memes. That's
1: it. <laughs> they weren't even offers, <laughs> right? So there you go. Oh, my man D just joined us as well. D from Speak Your Mind Sports. What's up, brother? If uh, you want to get on, uh, I can, uh, I can send you the link if you want to join us live. Or you can call in 718-618-4284, 718-618-4284. So there you go. Uh, Yeah, are you any more excited uh, after this weekend's news, David, about the potential Tyson Fury-Anthony Joshua fight than you were at the beginning
0: of the weekend? Man, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I haven't even been excited about any of it, to tell you the truth, because I'm just not – you know me. Anybody that's worked with me, how many years I've been covering this fucking sport, knows that I don't get overly excited in boxing until they're in there, actually, you know, Um, especially when it's high-profile fights. I don't get like, oh, my God, it's going to happen. I just let the – you know, throw the dice and wherever they roll, that's how it's going to end up, and I'll be happy with that, you know. Uh, for me, it just doesn't matter. They could do all the talking they want. You know, the day that I get excited is the day when I hear, you know, the ring walk. They're walking down and they get in the ring and I have my 12 pack right there because, you know, I have to have my 12 pack. I know you're against that and stuff, but I got to have my 12 pack and crack it open. And then that's when I'm excited. Other than that, this whole, you know, what they do an offer and all, it just, I can care less, you know?
1: Uh, absolutely. You know, so. Let, let, before we get on to our guest, who's going to be joining us in the second and final hour of the show, uh, I got to ask yourself. I got to ask you something. You don't Dick. want to talk about Joe Smith? Uh, yeah. We yeah. Actually, I we we can get we can get into that one now. Actually, the Joe Smith Vlasov fight. I felt Vlasov won, um, but I can see the decision going the other way. If you're a guy like Vlasov, you're taking on a guy in his home country. You're going in there as a dog. It's very difficult to win a close decision. Um, You got to knock a guy out or just thoroughly outbox him for the entire fight. And even then it can be difficult. I felt that he won the fight. Um, I felt that, especially in the early rounds, he was making Joe Smith look super basic. Um, That's because he is super basic, though. That's why. And eventually, uh, he started to kind of get touched up a little bit, but for every power shot that Joe Smith was landing, he was landing like six, seven, eight, you know, perfectly crisp, accurate shots. Um, you know, Vlaslov, we said this,
0: I said this, remember when it was originally announced before the whole COVID thing had made the first fight be canceled. I said, uh, Vlaslov is the poor man version of Joe Calzaghe. He, you know, tries to ha- have his hands low, get his face in front of your chest and, you know, get really cutie. I told, I had said though, that he couldn't do that too much with Joe Smith because he can get clipped and guess what? He got clipped and he got hurt, you know, um. But, you know, the comparisons that people were giving Joe Smith to Kelly Pavlik, I mean, Kelly Pavlik had a jab. Joe doesn't have a jab. You know, when I heard the commentators asking for a body shot or I even saw some fight fans go, go to the body, Joe, go to the body. Joe's never been a body snatcher. He's never been a body puncher. You know, Joe has kind of been carried, you know, through his career with the power that he carries. He's easy to figure out. You know, um, I thought he got a gift. I wouldn't say it's a robbery. There was some rounds that could have swung either way, but just like you, I thought the other guy deserved the win.
1: Yeah, I thought he did enough. Let's see if we got speaker mind sports talk. D Jefferson, you on live with us on leaving in the ring?
2: Yeah, yeah. What's up, bro? Hey, uh, hey, I'm on the way home. This is a lot noise. Just uh send me the link, bro. As soon as I get to the house, I'll
1: be there in like two or three minutes. I'm gonna jump on with you. Got you, man. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. I'll share that with you on Twitter. I'll DM you. Is that cool? I got you. I got you. All right, sounds good, D. Thank you so much. If anyone else wants to call in, the phone lines are open, is what we do on Leaving in the Ring. We open up these <laughs> phones. We love to get your opinion on what's going on. If you think what I said was bullshit. Let me know, all right? funky is on
0: point when he said Joe Smith is very inconsistent with his fight-to-fight fight base. And you couldn't be more right about that. Either he's on or he's off, but he's easy to figure out. That's the problem with Joe Smith. You know, could he learn how to box? Probably. I think he needs to get rid of his team, to tell you the truth, man. You know, I'll probably get a lot of flack for that. But I think he needs to get rid of his team. You know, because the next fight they're talking about, which is a big fight, I gotta tell you, if he looked bad against a guy that he could have put a little bit more effort, and probably could have added a little bit more to his arsenal. Could have done something to make the fight even sway more in his favor, even though he got it. But and I think in a lot of fight, fight, fight fans' minds. He lost that fight, but if he wanted to be a little bit more convincing, he could have added some things that help him out, that could have kept Blassoff out, out on the distance of the, the right hand for him to land a little bit more clean and more regularly, which could have been a jab. Also, to slow down the movement, he could have, you know, blinded him with a jab and then go to the body when he got in close, but instead he didn't do any of that stuff. And why is that? Because sometimes that's not always entirely the fighter's uh, fault. It has to be the corners. Maybe they didn't do enough. Maybe they didn't work on that. Maybe they didn't see what a lot of us, a lot of us were seeing that night.
1: I well, don't know. The other thing too is obviously Vlasov has enough punching power to keep people honest. I mean, he was touching up Joe Smith. Joe Smith's face was full of swelling. Um, he he was he was tagging Joe Smith uh, and then moving oh, yes, he was singles. So it, it's it's not just a, a an issue of. Well, what Tim Bradley likes to counsel fighters to do, which is usually good advice, like go to the party, but he is a limited fighter who is a one-two guy, occasionally throws the hook behind the one-two, and it's the type of guy that can get outboxed by a guy like Vlasov. And I felt Vlasov won the fight. I had it about 116, 112, and I think that the scorecards were absolutely nuts because – I heard uh this morning that none of the uh judges in this fight had Vlasov winning the first ten rounds. And if you don't have the guy winning the first wow. 10 rounds, I mean that really says all you need to, to to know about how fair the cards were stacked uh for Vlasov. What
0: about Joe DeGuardia just jumping up and down in that corner? When Vlasic no, not- uh, got punched in the nuts, um, oh no, back, in the back of the head. I'm sorry, he was hitting the back of the head.
1: I mean, it was uh, it was outrageous. To be honest, it was uh, it was totally outrageous. So, I, look, I've I've started to notice this, and I've noticed it on ESPN. Actually, I haven't seen it anywhere else.
0: There was no way Joe Smith was going to lose that fight, though, man. No. I got that huge sense. I
1: don't. I don't mean that, yeah. David. I mean is these promoters feeling emboldened enough to be walking around the ring, uh, yelling at referees, yelling at a uh, state commission guys. Um, and it happens to be on these top rank PBC cards. I saw that before with the Maloney fight. Like, look, I didn't think that was a headbutt, but, uh, but I also don't think that Bob Arum should be going around yelling at officials in the middle of a fight. You know, it's, it's like they seem to think right. that they really own the car. They own the commission. They own the network, and it's what they what they say should be going. I'm bringing on my man D Jefferson from Speak Your Mind Sports Talk. D Jefferson, you are live on Leaving in the Ring. How's it going, fam?
2: What's up, fellas? How y'all What's going doing on? Not bad, bro. Yeah, um, shit, man. Just got back from. I gotta get a new car, bro. <laughs> Gotta get another car. That damn Lexus and I have done had it. I gotta get something else. So I went to test drive a couple of cars, but uh, yeah. Well, we what are we cooking on?
1: So we're talking about the Vlasov Joe Smith fight. Uh, how did you have it?
2: Ah, uh, I had it really close man. I think that um, when the when the decision came down, I, my uh, one of my guys, IBT, uh. Immortal Boxing Truth and I, we were doing the card, so, you know, I do the blow-by-blow, blow and he does the in-between-round analysis, and at the end of the fight, uh, we actually both had it the same. We had it 6-5 with a draw, I mean, with a uh, swing round. So, hmm. I came to the conclusion that I really didn't mind who won the fight between those two guys, but, um, you know, I don't know, man, like, sometimes it's all about like when you get fights, it's like six, five, I mean, six, six or seven, five, they close like that. I don't really cry robbery or holler robbery, right? Cause this is, this is my perspe- perception on it. I'm one guy, right? So it's like three of us sitting here right now. It's three judges and I only have one perspective and these judges look for different things. You understand what I'm saying? Um, and so when it's a fight that close, I can't really argue with the decision me personally i did have i had to swing round to vlasov yeah which, so
1: did
2: I. right which means that if they gave it to joe smith i'm not gonna holler but the fact that i had it a swing round they could have gave it to vlasov and i wouldn't holler either i can't really get mad at people saying they feel like vlasov won that fight i could see that i could see why they would, right. would feel that way
1: i feel the same way d and all i was saying earlier is that in these fights that are close like that where you got one guy maybe around ahead uh, or two ahead when it's not the hometown fighter. And definitely when it's a guy coming from another country, that guy's usually not going to eke out the decision. And when you're on the road uh, and you're a guy like Vlasov, really what you need to do is knock motherfuckers out. But unfortunately he doesn't necessarily have those one hit quitters in the left.
0: That's of, not in his temperament either. That's he, not his temperament at all. That's,
1: yeah. that's not who he is. So right. uh, what you got to be, uh, if you're a guy like that, you mentioned him being a poor man's Joe Calzaghe. Well, what ah, do you mm-hmm. do? Joe Calzaghe stayed his at home, right? Mm-hmm. Built up his fame and his record in his home country of Wales. And but so he was he, also very dominant in yeah. his style. You know, yeah. we're...
2: That
0: was the he, next he, thing. Yeah, he was very dominant, you know. And 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 you know what? When you talk about limited fighters, like we were talking about earlier, uh, uh, Mokar Joe's limited. So you know. I think people were, you know, even the judges were giving him some rounds because of the limitations that he had. And also he had the crowd, you know, and he had everybody behind him. The story that they keep building up. He's a working man, class man. You know, he came from nothing. Uh, you know, he's the guy that to, to the last stop, Bernard Hopkins. A lot of people get sold on that, you know, and they hold that to true to them, to when they, whatever they're watching and stuff. You know, what I was watching was a limited guy that, that was having a lot of issues who got a win. And guess what? It's living off of what he just got, which was that gift. Because I'm pretty sure the other guy that's going to step in, it's not going to make that same mistake because of one thing. He's got power.
2: You uh, know you know what, Dave? With, with Maxim Vlasov, he's one of these fighters like um, like uh, Ocoley, right? Mm. He's awkward. He's so awkward. The angles mm. that he comes from, the way he punches. You know, these guys, is really... Uh, is it? Oh, I gotta call him and check it out. Uh these guys—it shouldn't be these guys that um are awkward like that. They give just give everybody hella problems. Absolutely, they from these weird angles, and you see how Vlasic fight his movements. And when you're a guy of the, I don't care who you are, if you like uh, a guy that's purely of the sweet science, I'll give you an example: Floyd Mayweather, pure boxer. We all know that pure boxer, mm-hmm. Emmanuel Augustus gave him hella fire trouble. If you guys know about right. that fight, Emmanuel Augustus. Floyd exactly. Sr. said that that was the hardest fight that Floyd ever fought. The reason is, is because Floyd is a student of the sweet science, so generally, they're going to be practicing against a guy who's going to come to them of the sweet science not with that crazy awkward you know style with these crazy angles that's what vlasov that's what emmanuel augustus is they're these kind of guys that you can't train for you can sit in the damn gym all you want you you're not even going to get a sparring partner to replicate that foolery (laughs) i mean it's good because it throws his opponents off but it's not it's not uh how you say that's not traditional of uh, the sweet science so it's hard to you know look good or sometimes yeah but, be you know, a guy like that you know we
0: got to go back What joe re- really is i mean he's not a very polished guy fighter you know right. i mean he doesn't have the fundamentals like a floyd mayweather or any a really good f- boxer this is a guy that's that uses what he has is what is his power that's his money maker that's what's got him out of trouble in the past, you know, to ask him to put up a game plan and to stay true to that game plan or to make adjustments on the fly is asking a lot. To me, Joe Smith right now is just on borrowed time, in my opinion. I could be wrong, but I look at his career at this moment, enjoy it because it's borrowed time.
1: Yeah. Well, I saw what I needed to know about Joe Smith in the Dimitri Bivol fight. And while people have said that kind of he's improved – he still hasn't yet returned to fighting a guy whose primary asset is supreme boxing skill. Um, that's not Alvarez, who, with all due respect, fought a, a very dumb fight against him.
2: Uh, <laughs> that's I, horrible game uh, plan. Terrible.
1: Terrible game plan. I, I agree. And uh I, I actually expected more from his trainer. Like he's trained by Mark Ramsey, who's actually one of the better trainers in the sport. That that was totally befuddling to me. That he got went into that fight with that kind of game plan against the Joe Smith, uh, a straight come forward, one-two, maybe throws the hook behind it kind of guy. Anyways, I digress. What I what I was getting to was the fact that I'll be convinced about Joe Smith when I see him beat convincingly another boxer like that. And I did not see him convincingly beat no. a Vlasov on Saturday night. I just didn't. Okay. And Guess what? Bevo's still at one uh, one seventy five, and Baterviev, despite what people think, that dude could box. That dude, your right. world champion. Uh, that that guy does like to take it to you and, and apply his power, but he has some boxing in his game too. And an yeah. IQ.
2: I, I tell you this too. Um, after the the, the uh hell, the Dmitry Bevo fight, um, he he. It's not like. He, He didn't wash Jesse Hart. You know what I mean? And we're talking about a Jesse Hart here. So that's another indication that he just might not be, you know, on that level. I had somebody come on my panel last night. (laughs) This was going to make you guys laugh. Said that Joe Smith is taking over. He is the best at 175. Check it out. And probably the greatest 175 pounder of all time. <laughs> I swear, bro, it's on my live. I said, bro, are you serious?
1: Obviously, obviously, uh, that guy's name was Joe Tessator, who was literally jizzing his pants every time Joe Smith uh, threw a power shot. It, it was crazy. Shout out to Alexis L., who's dropped $2 in the super chat. Just a programming note. Uh, We're simulcasting tonight, so all of the people that are here tuning in with D-Style Boxing, just click the description box link. You got the link to the channel there. Like and subscribe. Hit that notification box. Want to shout out Bruce Goes. Want to shout out G-Funky Boxing, H-Money, Andre Rodriguez, and Hamed, who's joined us in the chat. Uh, We've got our first guest, or our guest uh, tonight, strength and conditioning specialist uh, Luis Garcia, I'm going to bring him on, um, and we'll we'll see what's cooking in the world of Luis Garcia, here we go, good to see you, my man, hey, how's hey, it going, how's going
3: guys, sorry, so I'm here in my car, you know, just had a busy day today, and uh, just finishing up some training, and I figured uh, I'd get on here right now, how, how, how are you guys doing?
1: Good, good, thank you, Luis, good. que paso,
0: bro, how you been, man, long time, I,
3: I know, man, I know, it's been, it's good to have you, you know. I talk to you once again, beyond your show. I know it's I've been a little bit removed from the sport, but that's actually been a good thing. I mean, I've I've I'm in contact with a lot of the fighters. You know, I I get get a chance to talk to them quite a bit. Um, you know, I've been advising some of them. You know, on some of their camps. But it, it's it's been a it's been a breath of fresh air because it's allowed me to kind of take a step away from it a little bit and see it from you know a different perspective. I think sometimes you get immersed into something so much and. And you live, you know, eat and breathe and sleep, you know, boxing. And, and I think you, you, you stop thinking outside the box. So it's, it's been good, though.
0: You know, it's been, I don't know what, it's been almost three, maybe four years, right, that we've talked. I mean, just to give people a heads up, you know, Luis is a strength conditioning coach. He worked with Abner Morris. Uh, you really have to, Abner Morris and to keep up that conditioning, keep him there. Uh, and the championship, uh, you know, I mean, the guy was looking phenomenal, Every time out. And the reason why I wanted to have you on, um, right. because one, I've known you for so long and I trust you when it comes to talking about the conditioning of fighters and how to strengthen them, how to gain weight and lose weight. Uh, and we were having a, a, a conversation, um you know, between texts and everything. And we got into the whole Canelo thing. And that's where we started talking right. about. So I figured it'd be great to have you on now. So my question is this, because I'm seeing this a lot through a lot of fight fans that right. they don't understand what clenbuterol is, they keep, still keep labeling it as PDs, which it isn't. How does a guy that came from 140 go up to 168, even 175, put on that much muscle and still look that mobile?
3: Um, you have to kind of understand it from, from a lot of different aspects, you know. I, I think um understand that when we we're introduced to Canelo on, on, on a big stage, he was really young um, and he was still growing into his body. Um, And, and so, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna grow into his body naturally. Like any, like any other fighter has, you know, they start, you know, they Hoya starts at 130 pounds, ends up at 154, uh, maybe, you know, at best 147, but he was still pretty solid 154 pounder. Um, And so he's going to naturally fill in. Right. Uh, and everybody says, okay, in the last couple of years, he, you know, he he was fighting at one fifty four, went up to one sixty, and then has now, you know, gone up to I think he fought in one a fight one seventy five, I, I guess, or, or light heavyweight, right? Um, and and people think, okay, well, then he's doing something, you know, he's he's taking some, you know, PDS or or the clamb- clambuterol is what helped him get there, which is obviously not the fact, uh, right? So number one, you know, he's, he's going to grow into his body. Every athlete, that happens. Number two is allowing himself to then, instead of dieting, you know, just to make the weight and really weakening his body all the way through, he's actually now eating and training. And so your body's naturally going to put on that weight. The guy's consistently in the gym. You see that he, he doesn't take a lot of time off between his fights. Um, he, he's not like you know, a lot of the fighters that say, okay, now now I'm off-season. Off-season means I do absolutely nothing. The guy stays in shape. The guy stays in the gym. So naturally, your body's going to want to grow. I mean, your body has to adapt to anything. I mean, and, and anything I talk about the human body, always remember one thing. Like the only thing your body ever has to do is to adapt to any stimulus placed on it, whether it's being sedentary, whether it's, you know, whether it's being, you know, work, whether it's climate, whatever it is, your body has to adapt to it. Um, and it's an adapt by doing different things, you know, and and in his and in his his way, it's, you know, he's putting in the work. So obviously he's going to, you know, and if he eats towards it, then his body's going to grow. So I, I wouldn't attribute it to him any any funny business or 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 something outside of just of just his training i mean and maybe i'm being i'm playing devil's advocate a whole lot maybe there is something but i would never i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't even think that you know personally
0: yeah i i I know i remember a long time ago you were approached um i won't bring up the names of fighters that you know if i brought up the names they'll be like what the fuck but you've been approached by fighters and to then when you were working with Adnan Mars and other fighters, they were like, Hey, so what are you using? What's this, what's the special stuff? You know? Yeah. So there's no denying that there's PD still circuiting through the sport, you know? Um, and I'm pretty sure you saw now the accusation with Andy Ruiz, we saw his legs, his calves look phenomenal. His right. quads look massive. How does a guy like that though has struggled? I mean, I've talked to Andy numerous times, and the one thing about Andy was that nobody was able to seem to get Andy on a right <laughs> regimen, a right meal plan to make him look the way he's looking now. Um, I mean, we haven't seen him without a shirt. I haven't seen him without a shirt, but right. his okay. legs are definitely showing signs that he's actually taken serious. I mean, but is it, do you think that the fans are at fault to not think that he may be on something?
3: Um, a lot of things can happen. You know, the guy, I mean, the guy's obviously an athlete. Um, and, and a lot of these times, you know, when you're an athlete, it's kind of like a really obese person that hits the gym for the first time and and then drops twenty pounds in the first two weeks. And you're just like, oh man, these are awesome results. And it's just like, their body's just waiting for some, something to go right. Their body's waiting for them to do something right. And I, and I think, you know, yeah, you're looking at his legs and maybe he just wasn't showing them off before. Maybe, maybe he had some, he had some of that, but he had some extra body fat. So you just thought they were just tree stumps you know and and so you you know or maybe he just finally dialed in something i think one thing that could be said you know and just you know and i i know andy through other people i haven't talked to him in many years and you know since he used to be around valdez you know early in his career because they were both friends and i was working with valdez and he used to live with me and he used to come to the house sometimes and, and that was my extent of knowing him but from talking to some of his friends that you know even outside the sport that hang out with him he just seems to just be dialed in mentally. So now he's really truly putting in the work. Before it's like, right? You can say, oh man, that guy's putting the work because he's in the gym. But there's a lot to be said with that. I mean, you could you saw that Oscar Valdez. I mean, I even for a phenomenal. While, like, yeah, yeah, I even I thought like, man, he didn't have that explosiveness. He didn't have certain things, and I and I was like, man, but this kid's a hard worker. But just being in that gym, you know, that energy, that you know, the the mental. That you know that Team Canelo brings, you know, and Canelo's a superstar Ooh. that that's, that's focused and, and and going to work every day. It's kind of reminds me of being in camp with uh, with Andre Ward and everybody just you know feeding off of that energy and, and everybody kind of becoming a bit of Andre Ward, you know, mentally and and, and and putting in that kind of work. So I think that's what he needed. And you know, he just seems to be in a better place, more centered. And even before the last fight with uh um that he that he lost, you know, Andy Reese, I I was seeing him, you know, you know, and I did talking with other people. He just it didn't seem like he, his focus was there, you know, and I and I saw that I, I, I you know, and, and it, now it is. So I wouldn't like I said, I think his body was just waiting for him to do something right. I mean, he's been putting in the work for a lot of years, but I think now he just took it up a step. He took it up a notch and, you know, and now realize what it is his body needs to do. And in fine tuning all those things. I, I mean you know a lot can happen in the you know, last six months or seven months whatever he's been training with that, that entire team and understand mm-hmm. where us also understand like what people don't really get it is you know when you talk about a fighter being not focused and you know the whole drink you know I don't drink during camp or you know all this other stuff man it takes like three months for your for your liver to actually you know regenerate itself from heavy drinking or from all these different things and then you put your liver through camp. And if you if you take a fighter two weeks away from a fight, and you and you do a blood test, if the doctor doesn't know the the fighter you know he's an athlete, you probably can right. ask you probably can ask the first question like with that liver function, are you an alcoholic? You know, and so think of that. You, you leave camp, and then you're taxing your body. You know, you're taxing your liver, which is your liver's primarily you know pri- primarily metabolizes hormones. You know, and in, in which you need mm-hmm. to recover, and then you're taxing your liver. So. What growth are you actually getting during camp? You tax your liver outside of camp. Now you go into a six to eight week camp, and you're not drinking because you obviously you need the energy to get in the gym. But your body has never recovered, and so even if even if your body's producing the testosterone to to you know to regulate it, like your body's not going to metabolize it. It's not going to do you any good, you know. So right. I mean, think put all those things into perspective, and and why it's important for these guys to stay you know healthy off season and take care of their bodies. And understand that they just went through an entire, like, like an actual car wreck, you know, like, you know, where they need to basically treat it like, Hey man, I need a, I need, I need a couple of weeks to just let my body recover, let my kidneys recover from some of the dehydration you and I talked about, uh, let my liver recover, you know, from, you know, get back to regular normal liver function and, you know, and, and and be back ready to, you know, for my body to, you know, then take on the camp and take on some of the growth that's supposed to happen during camp.
0: And all those tortillas and tortas and burritos that he must have been, <laughs> you know, throwing yeah. back, right? You know, do you know the strength and conditioning coach that's working with the uh, Renos?
3: No, I know actually I don't. Uh, I mean, I've hmm. seen some of the stuff he's doing, and you know, I mean, just basically on IG. I don't know what his overall, you know, methods are or, or where where what his background is, but I mean. I mean, he's doing something right, you know. Like, I, yeah,
1: right. So. I've seen him doing everything from the agility ladder to deadlifts and squats. Um, yeah. Can you speak a little bit about that, actually? It's like strength training with weights. Uh, I know heavyweights have done it. Um, Joshua is big on it. You even yeah. see Tyson Fury doing it. But you mentioned Valdez. He was yeah. strength training um, with, with weights. And obviously, canelo has been doing it, too. I've been seeing the deadlifts and the – yeah. The, the the squats as well with him. What, what are your thoughts on like the appropriate use of, of that kind of weight training? Um,
3: It, it needs to, it needs, it needs to be all done in the right time. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of the stuff, when we talk about weight training, everybody associates it with being very linear um, stuff like deadlifts and stuff. It, I think it's a little bit different, but when we, we talk about linear stuff, like, like the bench press or whatnot, that's not very functional. It's just meant to strengthen, you know, the muscle belly and get prepared for other, other functions. Um, so it, it is, it is something that, that needs to be incorporated at, at all points, but it also takes some time for, for the fighter that has never done it before to actually incorporate it in there and, and them feeling comfortable because they, they will start feeling, you know, you know, tightness. They're, they they will start feeling, you know, they're going to be sore and you need to understand how to balance it out with not only, how they feel physically, how it how it affects their body physically, but I also, you know, make sure that, that it, it translates into actual performance. So it, so it becomes a functional. Um, and so there's a, there's a period of adaptation to it. So if you do some of the, some of the weight training, which is, which is like very common linear stuff, like the bench presses and different, you know, shoulder presses and stuff, those are great. And you need to, you need to put your body through that, you know, to make sure that all muscles are firing um, and then obviously increased strength, you know, but mainly a little bit more when I talk about off season training, which is that maybe period that six six weeks or more out for, from the fight and then transition into more explosive, uh, you know, functional, you know, weight training, you know, during you know, during the camp and up to about two weeks before before the actual fight. But there is there is a period where you, you need to prep the fighter. It's like, you know, we take on a fighter and the first thing you do is like, Hey, what are you doing now that got you to where you're at? Usually, you know, when when you get a fighter, they're already doing a lot of things right, or they're maybe doing a lot of things wrong, but you have to understand they've already achieved a certain amount of success and they're, they're, they're at a championship level for a reason. And for you to take them and say, Hey, you're doing everything wrong. Let me incorporate all these different things and throw the book at them. It's not going to work, you know, not it's not going to work physically and it's not going to work for them mentally. You know, it's like, you're just going to, you're going to, you're going to, you know, fear, fill them with a bunch of doubts, you know, as you're walking in the ring, it's like, Oh shit. Have I really, should I really have I, should I have made that change, you know, at that point. So, uh, weight training, I think it's 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 something that all fighters need to incorporate, but they need to learn how to do it.
1: Right. And what I picked up there is like it's all about knowing when to go with volume, when to go with intensity. Right? Much like with track and field, periodization. You exactly. don't. You don't just train with weights the same way throughout the entire year. Like there, it's got to be structured, and the athlete has to know when to peak. And that's something that that's important that that people like you bring to the table. Right.
3: Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 getting to that, to that peak performance and, you know, some of the linear movements that you'll, that you'll do even in the last couple of weeks uh, that would be considered weight training, you know, maybe light, very light work. And I mean, it's just to make sure that all the muscles are firing properly and and you have no imbalances, you know, within, within your body. And, you know, and then you also got to do stuff to counteract, you know, some of the weight training and maybe, shortening of the muscles or whatnot so then you got to do other things to counteract you know what they may be feeling at that moment and understanding what that is and a lot of fighters don't don't get that they just kind of give up because they feel sore one day or they feel like they're not getting their punches off and and they don't give it time to to maybe for the body to adapt to it um but you know within talking to them and, and, and explaining it to them and and it sometimes takes a few camps i mean it took me like. It took me about three camps to get Abner to a point to where it's like, I remember one time he was really pissed off at me. He's like, why the fuck are we doing? I'm sorry. Excuse my language. Doing no, go legs. ahead. So He's so doing legs so much, and I hate doing legs. I hate this. I hate that. And the first fight against the Becko he takes an overhand right. And he, doesn't remember, he doesn't remember where he was at. His legs buckled, but his muscles fired, kept him on his feet. He got his wits five seconds later. And he never, he never took that knockdown, and he's like, "Shit, that saved the fight for him." And he, that knockdown would happen, he would have lost that fight, you know. And so, at that, as, as soon as the fight was over, he was like, "Thank you for working my legs so much." And I'm like, "Okay, cool. Now we, get, now we got to get to the next level, the next step, you know, into, you know, becoming a more round, well-rounded athlete." Which is another, there's another point that I want to, I want to, I want to speak on, you know, well-rounded athletes. I think sometimes a lot of, a lot of times fighters kind of get into this mode where they just stick to their sport and they they hit the bag, hit the bag, they hit the bag and they, they lack other movements. You know, they, 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 they don't think about like their hip movement. They don't think about like a lot of the stuff that they're doing with their legs. Um, And so if you look at some of the fighters that have been, you know, the most dominant, you know, like think of the two biggest ones, you know, like of of the last 20 years, Floyd, Manny Pacquiao, What, what, what do both of those guys have in common? They both play a lot of basketball, you know. So they, yeah. So they're so multi-sport athletes, you know. They, I mean, they oh, maybe yeah. not professional basketball players, but they're out there doing something else. Uh, right.
2: It works on know. it works
0: on your balance, your endurance. I mean, I, I remember speaking to a few coaches. That's they used to say that play basketball. You got to learn how to play basketball. Which and, and I'm, it, I was shitty at basketball. Maybe that's why I never became a professional fighter.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and it, and it does a lot of things because. You talk about repetition, you know, and and in playing basketball, you're getting repetition. Somebody in front of you, somebody that you have to guard, that, or or you're being guarded. You, you know, offensive, deep, defensively, and so you're you're forced to move with someone else consistently and not right. take any not take any punches, which is which is really it's it's a, it's a win win situation. Yeah, there is there is those people like even Andre Ward. He got he got injured you know, at 24 hour fitness playing basketball and he hurt his knee. And, and that was, I think one of the things that always limited some of his training. And, and we really had to be careful as we, as we went to training camp, because his knee was always bothering him. Um, right. But, you know, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, there's those things like the risk reward ratio, but so it doesn't necessarily have to be basketball, but it's just one example of saying, Hey, I don't, vision or yourself and say hey i'm only gonna do boxing that's all i'm gonna do I uh, think a lot of they, they gotta look outside the box and if they don't like doing those things or maybe the risk reward ratio for that particular athlete isn't there like abner didn't like playing other sports so we had to be creative in how we went in there and trained him so that he can you know start utilizing his entire body you know especially and the of- cabron looked like he was a soccer player dude how come he- yeah I-, I thought for sure he would have loved to play soccer <laughs> no, man, he didn't. We and that was one one of the things that that when we when I first started working with Abner, is really? that I saw it like as a, as an area of opportunity was that his 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 leg movement, you know, his foot movement just wasn't all there. Um, and so we did a lot of drilling, and that's when we you know we started doing a lot of the sand work. It took me about two camps to finally get him out to the beach and get on the sand and start doing some of the drills on the sand. But then right. when he started seeing how that translated to to his footwork and his and his motion in the ring and and you know even even started feeling more power because the power you know guys you start, starts from your toes all the way up to your hands and your and you know and and, and your fist it doesn't start just at your shoulders and you know and your biceps and triceps you know putting that punch together it's everything's so your core your your hip your hip movement you know positioning i mean all those things play a role in your power your ability to land a punch your ability to have defense and so I mean, for me personally, I think all these fighters spent so much time throwing punches that you, you don't really need to strengthen that, that aspect of them, you know, it's like you yeah. need to help them and balance it out and do different things. But most of the stuff, if, if, if any coach can hear anything and, and, and learn something is you got to start from the ground up, you know, like and mm-hmm. really just, you know, work on, work on their feet, work on the, the longevity. So, I mean, some of the fighters that, you know, have gotten old even before their time, what's, what's the one thing that they've lacked? It's just they, that mobility, you know, and. And look at look at someone like Marquez, you know, as his as he got older, it wasn't he became a, a more exciting fighter because he was trading more. Why? Because he didn't have the legs under him anymore, you know, and, mm. and if he would have taken care of that from from the get go. And that was an area of focus, you know, within his, his entire training and conditioning, um, then he might have maybe, you know, lasted a little bit I mean he did had a great career so I can't say anything, anything wrong with that but yeah. but it's just the, the difference of the early on in his career when he naturally had those legs and and he just basically ran and it was basically in a straight line and and he you know he but he was able to compensate by just maybe natural ability but later on you know he was forced to stand in the pocket a lot more and trade with different fighters and it was a much more exciting fighter but maybe it wasn't so good for him you know yeah.
2: A lot of athletes have to look out of the box, bro. Um, Well, uh, like, I'm just appreciating what you're saying here. This is not boxing, but it's just another example. Jerry Rice, football player, right? He often took ballet. Why? Because when he running routes, you know, making those cuts, and like you were saying, balance, ballet was – Excellent for that. So that's like way out of the box. Like, wow, he's a football player. He's taking ballet, and we can see the results were phenomenal. You know, so I get you. Like, sometimes you got to get out of the box. But I had a question for you. I'm noticing, not even just in boxing, but a thing is catching on with athletes where they are transitioning over to uh, plant based or non meat diets, whether it be pescatarian or vegan. What are the difficulties in you guys, um, you know, creating? eating plans for those guys because they have to take in a lot more, right? To kind of keep up. Is that true or no? Uh, yes
3: and no. I mean, pastitarians, I, I think it's the easiest way to go. Um, I mean, I, I think it's all personal choice. Uh, do I prefer a vegan diet personally? Um. I like them. I just think that it it doesn't work for everybody. Uh, It's somewhat something that even just mentally, it doesn't work, you know, you know, just even that mental, a mental thing. It's kind of like when you sit there and have, have a salad bowl or you go to a vegan restaurant and, you know, as opposed to a steak restaurant, you know, you're going to feel mentally more satiated, you know, but (laughs) I, I, I think, I think, I think ultimately I, it doesn't present a problem for me. It's just like, how does the guy handle it? Mentally, You know, it's like, hey, do we know that this is this is for you physically and and we know that there's a lot of benefits to it. But can you mentally handle it? You know, is it something that that you're going to be happy doing and we can be consistent with it? You know, it's like, you know, even when when you're talking to somebody about doing a diet. I mean, there's how many registered diets out there? You know, if there was one that worked, you know, for everybody, there would only be one. Um, and, it, and the reason it doesn't work for everybody is that everybody has a different lifestyle or a different mentality behind eating and, and, and so forth, you know? So there goes the, the training aspect of it. I think one of the things too, is, is, is that a lot of fighters under eat, um, and they get into this whole, this whole thing of, man, I got to make weight and I, and I can't eat this or I can't eat that. Or, or, you know, I used to, you know, make the meal plans and, and they look at me like, man, you're crazy. I, I can't eat that much food. You know, like, I'm like, like, I'm going to be fat, you know, by the end of camp. Mm -hmm. I said, and I would tell him, you know, I I know you feel like that right now, but that's because once again, we're going to go back to my initial statement. The only thing your body ever has to do is adapt to a stimulus you place on it. So if the stimulus is for you to eat less and still be able to, you know, do the amount of work, your body's going to become very efficient and and, and burning as little calories as possible. But what that does is it doesn't allow you to get to that, that other level of training you know, that, you know, that, you know, say like that, that window.
1: I think we, uh, I think we lost you there for a second with your audio. Oh, uh, are you guys? Yeah.
3: So you have a window, a window of, of your natural athletic ability. And for you to, and for you to get, you know, to, to that 99% or 95 percentile of what you're capable of, um, you know, you need to, you know, keep your diet, you need to eat and train and not diet and work out, you know, two very different things. And so a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of fighters get it, come in, come in and say, Hey, that's too much food. I can't do this, but you got to retrain them mentally to kind of make sure that they're, that they're eating those things. And then eventually your body's going to become very adept at eating that and, and actually burning that much energy because it knows it's, it doesn't have to hold on to it. Um, think of like, once again, your body only has to adapt to to the stimulus. So, Think of prehistoric, you know, you know, diets where you you ate right now, but you didn't know whether you're going to eat again for another two or three days. So your body was forced to hold all those calories and and put them away and store them as fat, you know, to be able to stay alive for for a period of time. So our bodies are still like that. Our bodies are still, you know, looking at hey, if I'm getting little calories, I need to I need to be efficient with what I got. If you're giving your, your body a lot of calories and the right kind of calories, your body's going like, oh, I can, I can go through this. I can burn through this with energy, and I can use this energy now because I know I'm going to have a meal right after this anyway. So you start to have to train your body in that way, and that takes time as well. So there's a lot of little things that, that, that make big differences, you know, especially within these camps. But, I mean, these fighters really got to be on board, you know, even out, outside, of, outside of their actual training camps at six to eight weeks. I wanted to.
1: Sorry, go ahead, Dave.
3: I was going to
0: ask you. What do you think is you know when a fighter hits tops the ceiling of their weight, like you see some some guys like Benavides who was struggling to lose a pound or two or three. What do you think is going on there, uh, Luis? Where you're seeing fighters they're they're not able to shed that right. little nagging pound. What, you know what could it be? The eating? Could it be the the, the a little added muscle or, or they, their body can't sweat out that, that, that pound anymore, that ounce.
3: Um, I think there's a lot of things within, within that. I think, I think a lot of it, I mean, I revert back to all their off season work. Um, and, and what, what are they trying to compensate in, you know, during camp in those six to eight weeks for all the stuff that they're doing outside and coming into camp, you know, maybe with too much body fat or not enough, you know, it's like, you can't, You can't come into camp, you know, and say, I'm going to, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to lose, you know, all this body fat and I'm going to gain all this muscle. Like you can't do all those things, you know, and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, and be peak performance by this day. Like, it's not going to happen. It's like, you got to, you got to pick your battles and say, Hey, you know, I, you know, I'm going to have all my muscle mass. I'm going to, I'm going to have all my strength ready. And, you know, my fat, obviously maybe it's a little higher than I want it to be, but I can, I can burn that through camp. And sometimes it's a positive thing uh because it's some stored energy. Um and you know, and, and they're maybe just not balancing all that out. But when it comes down to like the actual weighing itself, uh there may be dehydrated as fuck already, you know, coming into the right. last week, the last week. And then your body at one point maybe just shuts off and says, No, I'm not letting go of another another drop of water because if I do, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna see I'm gonna start, you know, having kidney failure. I mean, then there's so many things, you know, the the they you know a lot of the fighters, man, they don't wear these sweatsuits like all through camp and they don't hydrate properly. So, I mean, your body does become kind of efficient and adapt to it to a certain extent. But the byproduct of that then means that you're not able to excrete all the toxins that your body's creating throughout camp. So so imagine like your liver function shot, your kidneys are shot. And at that and at the end, I mean, you know. Of course, it's not going to your body's not going to want to let go of that, you know, a couple ounces of water that you still have left in there. And then body fat, you know, you're not going to get rid of body fat because your body doesn't have any water to then even metabolize the fat and actually take it out of your body anyways. So, I mean, you're wreaking havoc on your body at that point. Um, So a lot of a lot of fighters and I talk, you know, I talk to a lot of fighters and they're scared about this, too. This whole this whole thing of always, you know, drinking, you know, you know, plenty of water through camp, not relying on, on these sweatsuits, not relying on all these things, you know, you re- I mean, I'm okay with sweatsuits, you know, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. You do that. You, you can do that maybe the last couple of days, you know, before the weigh-in, because at that point you're doing this whole active recovery, you know, uh, phase, phase of, of, of your camp where you're allowing your body to recover and you're trying to move at the least amount possible so that, you know, you, you give like, so you don't break your body down anymore. You let it recover but you still need to make weight. So, you know, then in that sense, you know what, throw on a sweatsuit. That way you move very little. You can probably sit there and sweat out a pound and a half by just sitting there. That's great. But in general, to use and throw out camp, it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, mm. But that's what they need to, I mean, so going back to that, the hydration portion, you know, and that we were talking about is is a lot of fighters, you know, they, they enter that last week already dehydrated, you know, because they're like, oh man, I don't want to lose, you know, I got to lose all this weight. And, you know, it, if they if they if they go into the, the fight week, ten pounds overweight it freaks them out. You know, fifteen pounds overweight it freaks them out. So they're trying to get you know to to their weight. So by by dehydrating all this all this water, as you know as opposed to doing the complete opposite and drinking as much water and even seven days away from the weigh-in is actually drink twice the amount of water that you'd regularly be drinking. If it was a gallon, go up to two gallons of water, and get your body used to just you know, drinking, 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 and let your body sweat it by itself. Let your body pee, let, you know, get your body, you know, ready, you know, you know, adapt to say, no, I got all this water, I got all this water. So that when you remove the water the last two days or drink very minimal water, your body's still in that state of saying, Hey, I got this water. I'm hydrated. I'm good. I'm good. And then you leave those, those, those cells open, ready to ready to hydrate after the, after the weigh-in. And then, and then, yeah, you do obviously dehydrate for two days, but at that, right. that point, your body, your body's already ready to, you know, receive that water. It's not like you're, it's this period of, of, of dehydration and toxins in your body, that, you know, coming from a two month camp, you know, that's, that's just the worst for you. you know I mean, and you're, you're actually letting your body sweat out, you know, all these toxins and, and, and you know, letting your body re- recover in that, in that phase. So then when you do have the water right after you step off that scale, your body can receive it. And, and at a, and at a cellular level, and not just the water that's going to be taken into your body is going to sit between your muscle and your skin, which is why a lot of the fighters start getting hit, and they, they you see all the swelling happening. Well, yeah, they're
0: all spongy looking. Right.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, and mean, and you, they would think they're they're hydrated, but their muscles are not hydrated. You know, you're right. not hydrated at cellular level. So that's another different, you know, negative aspect of, of of what some of these guys are doing to their bodies. You know, in that in that sense. So I mean, it's it's a lot of stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, it is. I wanted to ask you one other thing, if, if we could just return to the cross training topic for a second. Right. Uh, I'm a phys ed teacher and with kids, there's like a big debate about how early you should specialize in like overuse injuries. I mean, in baseball, you've got kids getting Tommy John surgery because if they're only basically throwing baseballs and not doing much else, uh, I've heard similar things about tennis um, and obviously, there's a lot of you know burnout in sports like gymnastics where people start really young. A lot of boxers start really young, like you hear about guys that are starting at four, five, six, seven, eight years old. Yeah. Is there any risk uh, of, of overuse injuries? And what are your thoughts on like cross training versus specialization?
3: Um, that that's the thing too. It's like, everybody thinks that sports are healthy and, and they're not really healthy for your body, you know? And, and, and I think you touch on something really, really important. Everybody, you know, like now there's this pressure, you know, because of media, because of social media, because of all these different things, you know, for a kid to specialize in something and, and just kind of go in there and do and do and repetitive, 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 but, you know, and maybe the people around them don't have the education behind, behind them to, to take them and pull them away from that repetitive movement and work on other facets of not only that sport, but, you know, take them, take them away from that and, and do some of the prehab work, you know, some of the rehab work that needs to be done. I mean, every, anytime you do anything repetitively, I mean, it's not really great. I mean, running's not great for your body, you know, like in the term effects of it, it are not good for your body either. So you need to take, take st- step away from that and do some of the prehab work. And I think a lot of that needs to be taught at a very, at a very young age, uh, how to keep your body healthy? Because talking about Tommy John, 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 surgery, I, I, I was a pitcher as well, and I, at the age of 20 years old, I, you know, I couldn't throw a baseball anymore, you know, and I didn't opt to have Tommy John surgery because at that time, I mean, talking about 20 years ago, it really wasn't. I mean, it was available, but it, you know, just kind of, you, you have the surgery, you're done, you know. Now, I mean, right. obviously, guys come back and they come back even throwing harder and better, um, but we weren't, we weren't really truly there. But it and what happened, I was pitching, you know, in a in, in my regular league, and then I was pitching a Sunday league, and then I was pitching a travel ball league. And so I'd be throwing three games a week, you know, and 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 that and that did my arm in, you know. And so so I think, yeah, all those added pressures. But you know, if you kind of get into the prehab and 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 mechanics of it, um, and mechanics should be taught a lot better. I mean, I I look at Instagram all the time and, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, these insta-famous people, you know, you know, teaching people how to do this. <laughs> How to do some stuff, man, and I'm like, man, like, how are you not injured, you know, or You're are you? Some of these people are injured, seriously. and they just and they don't they don't put that out there, you know. They just they just put their their gains out out there, but they don't put like, hey, I'm doing this, and I'm teaching you how to do this biomechanically incorrectly, and, and you know, and I'm hurting myself, but but I don't know why I'm hurting myself, you know. But I look good, don't I? Yeah. Know, so, so, so it's I- like that, that's that's the other side of it.
1: We've got a question here in the chat from uh, Bruce goes I'll put it up here he's asking about your thoughts on dairy. Um you already got a plant-based question from D who's who's joining us. Thank you D. Um well, what are your thoughts on 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 um I guess dairy versus non-dairy alternatives like I guess cashew milk, almond milk, soy milk, that kind of thing.
3: I I'm a, I'm personally not a big fan of dairy. I mean it's not something that, you know, I don't. I don't feel our bodies naturally really need.
1: Um, I'm on the same page. Yeah,
3: you know, and 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 really, I mean, if, if you're drinking, you know, say cow's milk or or you're eating dairy, what what are you trying to accomplish? Is it because you're you think the protein in, in, in the in the in the dairy is good for you, or is it because you think the calcium is good? Um, there's other sources of calcium that are much more absorbable. There's other sources of protein that are that are. There are more complete proteins um, out there that are even plant-based that, that are way better for you. So I think you search out all those other things. But my my take on dairy is is it doesn't really do anything you know positive that you can't get from somewhere else. Um, number one and, and number two, I mean you know think of like the process of of, of dairy. In general, or just farming in general, that yeah. that's something that, that you gotta that you gotta really educate yourself on, you know, before you make you know some of these changes. It's just like saying, hey, you know, is 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 in an essence eating chicken bad for you? No, it's not. But I mean, if you understand farming, then you understand why you might not want to eat that chicken, you know. Yeah. yeah if, if if it wasn't if it was in its whole natural state, you know, it it'd be a different story. But it's no longer that, you know. And even fish nowadays, you know, we're, we're oh we're, man. You know, there's a there's a new there's a documentary out now you know, talking about how much plastic is in our fish now. It's like and all that stuff yeah. is scary. So the, what we've done to our environment, you know, is affecting our diets on a daily as well. Um, so I mean, I, I, I might might kind of not answer the question, but no, no, I thought
1: that was a great answer. I mean, my own view on cow's milk is that the only milk humans should be drinking is the milk from their moms. Like yeah. the only the only reason we drink cow's milk and not rat's milk is because guess what? A cow is better for capitalism. Like it's a big animal that you can domesticate and attach tubes to. It's not because it's any healthier than any other animals milk. Um, it's, so, it's, big,
3: it's, yeah. it's, big, it's big. It's big. It's yummy.
1: And it's dumb. <laughs> it's docile. It's big. It allows you to do whatever you want to it. Yeah. Uh, D you got another question, brother?
0: Yeah, I got two, two last questions for you, Luis. Um, sure. Hey, you what is the? What do you think is the 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 most bad information a trainer does to their fighters in terms of trying to get them conditioned and make them lose weight? We saw just a couple, uh, like you know, I think it was last month. We saw a UFC fighter, female, just faint on the scale, and we have, we actually see a lot of that happen in the UFC, um, and and you know, we have seen it
3: in the past in boxing. I I think. It all goes from the onset of, 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 A, choosing the right weight, you know, and, and don't try to push those limits, um, understanding, you know, one's body and saying, hey, this is where I feel the most natural at my weight. This is where I feel the strongest. And, and I don't really, you know, I mean, I think it's different for everybody and what their experiences are. Um, going back to, you know, even Canelo, I think, I think as he moved up in weight, um, he's looked more explosive and I think he's even realized that he's way more comfortable, way more athletic and do a lot more things, could train a lot harder, could train at a different level. Um, so it's having that honest conversation and saying, Hey man, I know you're maybe a little short, but you know, let's, let's talk about like your natural you know, physiology and, 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 and really play on that and use your strengths as opposed to trying to make you something you're, you're not, you know, it's just like, it's right. like, like you're telling me I'm six, 62 230 pounds right now but if you asked me to you know hit 175 on the scale to get in the boxing ring i probably could do it but i probably wouldn't be very effective at it you know so that just we just that, that right. a lot
0: too and, and i you know i've been to gyms where i'll see a guy go in he's five eleven, and i'll hear a trainer tell them you got to make 140 or 147 to be effective and i'm looking at the guy and the guy's probably walking around at 205 you know yeah. and uh I mean, even these guys, a lot of these trainers don't know how to prep meals. Or they have never even taken a class of what nutritionists have put into a fighter, man. I mean, I, I just don't get how commissions or anybody is not regulating trainers and and or other people that are coming in with a dog whistle around their neck and allowing them to, uh, you know, uh, give this mis- misinformation.
3: Unfortunately, um, we – we're in a sport that that doesn't pay their trainers well, you know. That doesn't pay their athletes well. You know, uh I mean talking about, you know, the like how how fighters get paid and and you know, by by the end of by the end of the day they 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 make they they don't make good money. Um mm-hmm. and so their access to to information is 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 shitty. Um it's just like even even I I've, I've experienced it. Like why am I not training anybody right now cuz I I mean I I can't afford to, you know, like I can't right. afford to take on some of these fighters, you know, because it, 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 it's a lot of time. It's a lot of dedication that, you know, it's involved with it. And and the, the pay scale isn't isn't there. We don't we don't pay quality people in the sport. So we rely yeah. on people that that are that are lifers in it, you know, that that just, you know, that just are in there and they kind of learn, you know, the ropes along the way. But true education and culture within the sport. It's, it's pretty mediocre, you know, and, and, I, and I look at other sports and every other sport has, you know, even the UFC, like some of their guys are way more educated um, and understand their bodies a lot better than, than a lot of the our fighters do. Um, and it's and it's sad, you know, because, you know, we're I mean, it's a sport that I've always loved. And, and, and but it's, that's the that's the main truth of it, that there's that because the fighters aren't compensated well and then trickles down to the trainers not being compensated well, that we fail to keep the right talent in the sport. And, you know, and then that shows. I mean, that ultimately, that's right. right. That's, the, that's the byproduct of it, you
1: know? So we have another question from the uh, chat real quick. Uh, Shushan Boxing, shout out to Shushan. They're after us here on the Leaving in the Ring Network. He's asking uh, if there are any successful keto athletes, because I know keto's a, a big diet right now. I, I've done it to, like, quickly drop weight myself. Um, I don't know how effective it is it be to be an elite athlete, but what are your thoughts on that?
3: Um, I don't know any any elite athletes that that swear by keto, uh, especially on season. Um, your body does need the carbohydrates you know to to sustain you know the the kind of training, like going back to saying that we don't we don't diet and work out, we eat and train you know as athletes, and we gotta eat towards our goals and and you know, really being in a state of ketosis, is it something that that in general is healthy you know long term you know it it's it's okay if you're trying to you know say get ready for you know a vegas pool party or something yeah. you know, for, for a period of time and and it, and it's good and it, it shocks your body to you know drop a lot of that a lot of the weight but understand that you know during ketosis you know your body does produce a lot of toxins and and within that, you know, you do dehydrate your body a lot more. So within every every molecule of fat, there's there's three cells, there's two of water. There's I mean, I'm, there's every cell there's there's three molecules, there's two of water, one of fat. So a lot of times, what ends up happening is we don't necessarily lose the the molecule of fat. You know, we lose the two of water, and then and then once you start you know eating with you know carbohydrates, then your body then just puts that right back on. So we people associated with just you know yeah, there's some weight loss in there. But is it true weight loss, like you know, where you're actually, you know, fat loss? Not always, you know. So yeah, there's some of it, but not always. And to train at a at a high level, I mean your body's already you're I mean, like I talked a little bit about your liver function as as you get into camp and you're training at that kind of high level of being that of an alcoholic, and now throw on a poor diet that that produces more toxins than your body really truly needs to handle. And I don't understand how you can get to that top level. So I would I would yeah. say not the way to go. <laughs> I, I agree. And what
1: I just add to that myself, personally, I used keto diet just for a short while to kind of lose a little bit of extra fat I had around my belly. But look, uh, if you're going to be doing training, like uh, running, there's a reason marathon runners load up on carbs uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, prior yep. to their race. It's it's important fuel uh, for the body. So definitely. Um, go ahead. Get a question, Dave. Yeah, I got
0: one more question for you, Luis, and I know you got to get going and stuff. Um, you know, I've known Victor Conte. I know you know Victor Conte, and uh, you know he's got his facility is phenomenal, man. It's beautiful, and he's what he's done with with athletes and stuff. But you know, I've always said not everything like that helps a fighter. You know, and I, what I want to ask you is because. Roman Torretito Gonzalez, he was a guy that was kind of written off and uh, looked really bad, let's say, three, four fights back, right? Right. Um, but he's made a major comeback. I mean, he, his last fight against Estrada, he looked phenomenal, conditioned. I mean, didn't gas out. And when we, when I had a chance to speak to his trainer, uh, Marcos Caballero, Caballero was like, we just went back to the tradition, to the tradition right. things. We We cut everything out about trying to – you know, put a mask on and tried all this uh, uh you know uh supplements we just went back to road work and, and doing stuff like that. Is is that true do you believe that it, or is it that or is that just depending on that person's body you know could you get somebody to to go back in time with their body to
3: perform the way they used to in the past? Um I think there's the, several aspects. You know we talk about Like when I talked, I touched about it. I touched on it like a little earlier, and I talked about the mental aspect of all this training, um, and and who the guy is, you know, inherently. Um, And some guys just mentally say, "Hey, you know, like if I'm going to do all this fancy stuff, it's it's great and all, and and I'm going to do it because I, I listen to my trainers and my coaches and my team." But you know, it sometimes takes that mental focus away from. You know some of the stuff that's made them successful. So you right. gotta look you gotta look at the guys that say, hey man, you're here for a reason. What are those things, you know, can I identify those things that have made you successful to this point? And how can I make this better? You know, and, and how can then we make this better and make it something that 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 could be that can increase your longevity, increase your performance now, but increase your longevity in the sport. A lot of times that we don't ask those questions or, or we or we get to, oh, man, I, I, I'm a great trainer and I want to throw the book at you and I want to do all this great stuff and, and I want to show off for Instagram or, or or the media or whatnot. But that's not the right thing for the fighter. Um, so it could be it could have been one of those things where it took his mental focus away from actually putting in the work. Um, and, and you know, and some fighters just don't 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 react well to that mentally or even physically. Because then mm-hmm. there's that other, there's that other aspect, you know, where was he training in the off season, and what kind of work was he getting in the off season? Is was he getting right. that kind of work in the off season that then that then you know said, okay, we're doing all this explosive work, you know, during during the eight or six week training camp, but off season we weren't doing any of that. So how's that going to shock your body like positively? Did you do anything that built the foundation for you to receive this work, you know, uh, and and more likely the, the answer is probably going to be no. And so mm-hmm. then you they come into camp and they're maybe in okay shape, but then you're throwing the book at them and having them do all these different things and and having them wear a mask and all this other stuff when it's just, I mean, I think sometimes that becomes overkill because they're they're not physically or mentally ready to receive that, you know and, and, right. and so you 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 then put up put all this explosive work and all these different things that shock their body, and then their body never has that chance to recover you know, in the last week, you know, or two, or, or two prior to the fight. And then, so it's like, it's just like that, like kind of like, you know, that whole recovery thing is you just push that basketball down in the water. And then once you let it go, that, that ball pops up. And that's really like what all the training is, is that you're just pushing that ball, you're pushing, you're pushing the limits of your body and expecting it to then just bounce right back up and recover. But if you didn't, put that groundwork down you know on the offseason and you're doing that to that basketball like you know probably that, that ball's gonna pop at one point you know and it's not gonna come back he maybe felt great a week or two after the fight you know because he had time to recover and relax but maybe for a fight it wasn't happening for him you know so there's a lot of aspects to it I, I'd, I'd have to sit there and, and really analyze everything that he does but I, I would say just from a standpoint it's it's either a, a mental block. You know, where he wasn't putting in the work, you know, like he should, he was just doing what they told him because that's what that that's what was on the schedule for that day. Right. Or or he just wasn't prepped to for his body to receive that work, you know.
0: Well there you go, Luis Garcia. Uh, strength and conditioning coach. I've been a friend with Leaving the Ring, man, for man for a very long time. I'm taking a trip to Vegas. I'm going to be out there for a whole week, and then I was going to swing through uh, L.A., brother. Maybe we can get together or something, you know, and uh, yeah. chop it up again.
3: Yeah, yeah, man. Come out, man. And if there's any fighters out there, um, I recently started, you know, uh, taking some fighters out on the sand every Saturday and kind of just donating my time um every saturday morning try to go out to santa monica and do some of the sand work some of the sand drills that i think have, have been a staple of you know some of my training camps um so if any fighters out there want to come and join i'm not trying to charge anybody just come out there and learn if you guys have any questions feel free to ask and you know it's like just opening up give back a little bit to the sport that i think has given me so much you know
0: you got the little man out there with you running yeah Doing man,
3: some he goes out there, man. He probably he probably give everybody a run for the money, man. He wears me out, that's for sure. <laughs> so, thank you
1: so much, Luis, uh, Luis Garcia, ladies and gentlemen, muchisima gracias, Luis.
3: Uh, thank you guys, man. Thank you guys for having me, and have a have a blessed day, guys. You
1: too, you too bro, brother. Luis, Luis Garcia. <laughs> All right, that was awesome, man. And D, thank you for staying on for the ride. You were like mid sentence when Luis came into the. <laughs> uh i i'm thank you for for staying on uh there were two other things i kind of wanted to go over real quick to get your thoughts on dave and maybe we could get uh, these thoughts uh i wanted to ask you about andrade williams which is taking place today i'm sorry this weekend and then uh what your thoughts on tony harrison and his uh kind of future at the 154 pound division you know there's that charlo fight that's been agreed to with castano i'm excited about that so Yeah. Real quick, real
2: quick now, uh, because I followed Jamel on Instagram and Twitter. Mm
1: -hmm. Jamel
2: said it's all crap. Really? He actually just, he came out with a post. He came out with a post on Instagram and Twitter. And he said, listen, don't listen to these articles. We have not even spoken yet.
1: Well, there you go. The reports came out of Argentina. So I guess you got to take that with a Andrade, Williams, uh, Dave, and the uh, obviously the uh, comeback of um, Tony uh, Harrison.
0: I'm excited about Tony Harrison. I'm glad that he's back. You know, um, you know his last outing. I thought he was fighting. He was fighting a great fight. You know, and uh, unfortunately, you know Charlo was able to creep back into it. And uh, so, I mean. I don't know
1: anybody that's right written off Tony yet. Have, do you know anybody that's written him out, out yet? Yeah, I mean I'm a big fan of Super Bad Harrison, bro. I'm a big fan. And the thing is, he lost his father trainer. Uh this is gonna be, I believe, his first fight yeah. since he lost his father trainer. So there's right. that kind of important story uh as well. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him on, on Saturday. Uh, right. uh what about you, D, before before I let you go?
2: I I um I am definitely looking forward to Tony Harrison. You know what I think about Tony Harrison, and you know, a lot of people may not agree with this, but pure boxer, I don't think there's another boxer at 154 that's a better pure boxer than him. Yeah, I don't. You see, his his issue is his chin. He does have chin issues, but just look at him box. I don't think no one else is boxing better him, better than him. I don't. I think he's a phenomenal boxer. He just has chin issues. Tony's tall, too. He's a lot taller than people believe he is, like 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, you know what I mean? So um, I'm excited. I think he's going to beat the hell out of Brian Perella, i tell you that.
1: Same. G-Funky's asking if you think he's a better pure boxer than Lada, who's also at 154.
2: Oh, yes, because, uh, I mean, no. Laura's
1: kind of kind of uh, stepped down a little bit. Yeah, Laura's he's the declined. Guy.
2: He's declined. Yeah, he's declined. declined yeah. Not only that, G-Funky, Laura's at 160 now.
1: Uh, <laughs> there you go. So, D, I'm, uh, I'm going to let you go, but uh, thank you for, for joining us. You are an extended member of the uh, Leave It in the Ring family. Always a pleasure to have you on on the Lives at Fives. And, uh Thank yeah, you for- I
2: got to get back over there, too, bro. I've been missing it. And, uh, Dave good. and Emil, thanks for having me on this one, too, bro. I appreciate Absolutely, it, guys. Absolutely,
1: bro. 100% bro. Tuesday, Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern, fam.
0: I got gotcha. to say Harrison is is chinny, man. I mean, he's been knocked out by some hard punchers. You know, Heard Charlo, uh, even Nelson, you know, is a decent puncher. You know, yeah. um, um I, I think, you know, I I think he's skillful. I think that um, it's the crop of guys. Unfortunately, it's this is what you get when you fight the best that are available in your division, and the best that are available in the division are actually guys that are worth talking about, right? You know, I mean, Heard. I don't know. He's he's MIA, but he fought. You know, Harrison fought Heard when he was considered the monster at 154. He was the boogeyman.
1: You know. Yeah, 100%. And, look, you know, we saw Israel Madrimov uh, the other day. I think it was two Saturdays ago out there in uh, in Uzbekistan. Um, obviously, people who listen to this show know that I'm a huge fan of Tim Zhu and see big things in that kid's future. Um, and, yeah, Brian Castano, that, that's a solid dude, too. I was actually hoping we'd see Tim Zhu, Brian Castano. Yeah. Um, hmm. You know, I love that come forward style that he has. And I love the sniper style that Tim zoo's inherited from his dad. You know, uh, keeping that, that range finder jab and that boom, that right hand. Right. And There's it-
0: still a lot to be answered, though, from Tim Zoo you I agree. Know? Yeah. I know you're on that. I know you're on that wagon, that train with them and stuff. And I do like that kid a lot. But I'm still a bit reserved because they're moving him they're moving them very good you know and 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 certain things that they're doing with them it may seem to be a little better than what he really is just at the moment um I think if they rush him too quick and put him in with like a castano or something somebody in those kind of uh, uh you know uh, resume I I think we're gonna get some stuff revealed and exposed by Tim to zoo because he might not be ready for that level just just yet I think he's close. I think he's close, but I think he's bought about two or three fights before I say we start talking about him jumping up and getting a world title.
1: No, I I agree with you. I think the track that he's on is a great track. I feel like the Jeff Horn fight was at the appropriate time. And I felt like the Dennis Hogan fight was also at an appropriate appropriate
0: time. Yeah, definitely. He looked phenomenal in that fight with Dennis Hogan. You know, Dennis didn't seem like
1: he was in the fight ever. He wasn't quite the menace when he met Tim Zhu, that's for no. sure, Dennis Hogan. So and lastly, Dave, uh, Demetrius Bubu Andrade, uh, WBO champ, 160 pounds, doesn't seem to be able to get a big fight with top guys out there, whether it's Charlo, uh, Jermall, whether it's uh, Triple G, whether it's Canelo. These are the guys that he wants, even the Billy Joe Saunders Uh, that fight fell through and he hasn't been able to make it happen again. What are your thoughts on Boo Boo? Uh, He's taking on a rugged guy in Liam Williams out of Wales. Uh, You looking forward to this fight? What are your thoughts on Boo Boo and and the way that his career is going?
0: I'm not looking forward to the fight, but I'm going to take the fight. And what I mean by that is that, you know, Boo Boo is in no position of saying no to anything. He needs to take on whatever's coming. Um, Liam just, what he needs to do is is basically shut down Andrade's case of being avoided. And the way he does that is being rugged, being rough, cutting the ring off, cornering him, forcing him to fight. You know, um, I like Boo Boo. Is he the cleanest looking boxer at the 160 division no he's got flaws but he does carry some decent power to keep you humble he you does. know I know I know a lot of folks are like he doesn't have any power he does i mean when he turns it on and he sits all those punches he can hurt you um you know uh, he, he's got good footwork uh, he doesn't have the greatest footwork. Um, he's a good counter-puncher. Does he have the most exciting style? No. But is he the most boring style? For some, yes. For me, no, not really. You know, But I'm going to take what's getting served to him at the moment because, like you said, it doesn't seem like anybody really wants to mix it up with this kid. And I think what everybody's been waiting for that are these other guys that have been mentioned – to fight Andrade those guys are pretty much waiting for Andrade to lose to anybody so they can go back and say you see that's why we don't want to fight him and the fans would say that's why these guys didn't want to fight him he's not that special he's not that good you know so that's that's for Liam to to prove that point to go out there and capitalize on that point but i don't know if he's going to be able to do that you know regardless of what uh, Andrade doesn't look like he's taking a step back at all He doesn't look like he's declined he's still staying kind of fresh why because he's not as active but as we know, inactivity can sometimes, you know, can hit you back pretty hard What can make you look old overnight. Or maybe Andrade's going in there, uh, not taking this guy serious. We see this time and time and time again, especially in this day of age of boxing, fighters tend to sleep on their opponents because they've been looking at the bigger prize that's up ahead, and they're not looking at the actual physical body that's going to be in front of them. Could that happen with Andrade? It could. He's only human, but I haven't seen it happen to him yet.
1: Yeah. And he does have the ability to kind of shut out his opponents. I think what he really needs is a signature win where he scores kind of a brutal knockout. Uh, I think that will kind of get people clamoring for it. He does have punching power. We've seen him knock out or knock down guys with shots. Uh, We just haven't really seen him put guys away recently anyways if he could get that stoppage of Liam Williams, who is a rough and rugged guy, um, you know he, he's he's going to make a statement for himself. Liam Williams does have a good trainer behind him in Brendan Ingle. Um, you know they they do get good sparring out there in Sheffield, where I know uh, Brendan Ingle has his gym. It's also the home of the Institute of Sport, where right. where uh, guys like Carl Frost used to train. That's where AJ trains. So they got access to the sparring. It's going to be also interesting to see the COVID factor and how that plays into things inactivity activity uh, and all that. Um, being in a bubble, as we've seen, has caused people challenges. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this fight. I'm going to watch it, and you know, uh, we'll we'll see what happens, Dave.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's anything. It's
1: we're going to expect.
0: You Know, I mean, look, it's a showcase fight, it's a keep busy fight. But Liam, like you just mentioned, right now is coming out of a, a tough part and a, a traditional part of boxing. Um, and uh, it's really up to him to me, it lies up to him and what game plan they worked on and what they were looking at. Of, of Andrade, you know, what they could capitalize, like I said, you know, uh, with Connor was was impressive. About Connor Benner is he ben, ben Ben with Connor Ben is that he went out there and he made sure that the fight didn't even start. And that's what um Liam uh Liam's gotta do. He's gotta go out there, and jump on him immediately. You know, see if Andrade's cold, see if he was up to if he's up to getting in there to face him, you know. Um, you know, see whether or not, you know, Andrade took him serious. That's what he's gotta do. That's his job. So we'll see Saturday night.
1: Yeah, and as Shoeshine says. Liam's on a KO streak. He absolutely is. So look, shoe shine boxing tonight. Check it out. Home of the Shoe Shine podcast with uh Dave from the 408 and my man Philly Drew Evo. Check that out. 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, this has been the Leave It in the Ring show. Uh, shout out to everybody. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, hit the notification button. Link is there in the description box. Please do hit that before you leave our live show. Uh, thank you to everybody who's been here, LT Boxing. Thank you, G Funky. Mad Chad out of Maine. Thank you for joining us. JC Brusco's ringside reporter live was here with us. That's none other than Eric Lorta, I believe. And uh, everyone who showed us some love today, big up to you guys. Dave, you got any last thoughts? No, man.
0: Just enjoy the weekend. Don't drink and drive because you will spill your beer. Awesome. Thank you,
1: everybody.